Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Today, I'm here with Mark DeRosa. Mark is CEO and founder of Vantage Point Benefit Administrators. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, sort of the HR, the, the employee-employer relationship side of this whole business. Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. So why don't we start? I, I always like to have guests kind of start a little bit about your background. Tell us about the business. Like, how did you get into the space? And professionally, what have you been doing before this? So I've been in the employee benefit arena working with employers for almost 30 years now. And over the years, what's happened is with the increase in, in government regulations and compliance requirements, our business and our expertise has really morphed from not only doing employee benefits, but moving into the world of HR administration, working with companies to help develop HR best practices and compliance enforcement. Yeah. And so, you know, if you look at this, I mean, I think one of the things in the cannabis world that we talk a lot about is kind of the legality and the whole issue of, you know, state versus federal and things like that. And people talk about the finances, people talk about kind of the risk to the business from, you know, kind of plant touching and not plant touching kind of business. But I think one of the things that gets overlooked is this whole issue of if you're whether you're in the cannabis business or you're not in the cannabis business, how do you respond to this from kind of an employee policy, employee engagement point of view for these states that have cannabis legal, you know, state laws? So I've, whether it's medical or recreational, I now have people who are taking cannabis, and I think that that causes a lot of kind of issues, questions, uncertainty. So from a sort of an HR benefits policy, sort of legality point of view, I think it'd be interesting to talk about that. And, and we can kind of start wherever you think it's best to start. But, you know, I'm curious what your kind of view is on the cannabis side 
as an advisor, as someone who helps companies figure out these policies, helps figure out um, how to engage and manage employees in different ways, how do you see this playing out? Well, one of the interesting things that employers have to worry about now is it's not just at the federal level and it's not uniform across the country. So employers, certainly employers that are in multiple states have many more issues to deal with when yeah. it comes to this. And then with, with cannabis, there's actually two different categories of it. There's There are the states that have passed cannabis use for recreational use, uh-huh. and then there are states for medical use. Okay. And that, that in and of itself creates more problems for an employer <laughs> of how to define that. Yeah. And what most employers are looking at is they're going back a little bit back in time and looking at when the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed. Okay. And that applies to every company that has more than 15 employees. So this really affects okay. a lot. And and in that world- That's federally, it's across, across the United federal, States. Exactly right. Okay. It's a federal law. Any, any employer that has more than 15 employees has to provide what is defined as reasonable accommodation if there is a defined disability under that law. So when that law was first passed, uh-huh. what's happened in the past happens in the future. Yeah. We're seeing the the formation of that under cannabis. What I mean by that is So yeah, so go back, let's go back and talk about the policy cuz what what did that actually do in terms of business? Right. So what that law did is is the federal government came up with a list of what they deemed a disability. Okay. And then they went to the employer and said, "You can't hire or fire based on these disabilities." So this these is pr- now, this is protected class. I mean, this is what now, I, exactly. Okay, that's what I protected, okay. Right, protected right. classes. All right. And beyond that, if a person comes to you and has those types of disabilities, you also, as the employer, have to provide reasonable accommodation. So I'll give you an example. So yeah. let's say there is somebody that has debilitating disease that's related to muscle, and mm-hmm. them sitting in a chair is not. They can't sit in a chair at a desk job for eight hours a day. So there might be ergonomic chairs that might be more accommodating for that person. A standing desk might be more accommodating for that person. So those are very small examples of where an employer, quite honestly, is is incurring an additional expense to provide the accommodation for that employee that falls under that disabled category. You would define that person in that situation as a protected class? Correct. So now what that means, just to make sure I get this right, so from an employer point of view, it means that I cannot use that as a decision maker or or a part of my decision making process to hire them or not hire them or to fire them and not fire them. Correct. Unless it affects, it's a direct correlation to being unable to perform the material functions of the position. Okay. All right. So, and and now, so, so this is one example. Right. What are some of the other kind of cases that come up or things that you know, typically come up or maybe even the things that employers don't think about that fall into this category of protected class and things that you cannot hire or fire based on. So one of the biggest ones, and, and I'll use this because I think it ties into cannabis where we're yeah. going, is alcohol. So yeah. alcoholism is actually is a protected disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So that does not mean that an employee is allowed to come to work drunk every day. Yeah. Okay. But we all know how society and employers will look at somebody who, who is yeah. willingly says, I'm yeah. an alcoholic. There will always be that fear of, well, are they going to come to work drunk? Are they going to be able to perform their functions? Because so, I think this is the crux or this is the key right. to this discussion. So if I'm if I have a series of candidates and I'm doing my research and I'm on their LinkedIn profile or something and I see that they are you know, members of AA or somehow connected to AA or some, somehow I learn – that they are an identified, have identified as an alcoholic or associated with alcoholism in some way, that I cannot use that 
as a discriminatory test or a discriminatory issue, or I can't use it in my decision-making process about whether or not I'm going to hire them. That's exactly right. And if they are, if they are an employee and I learn through some process that they you know, are seeking treatment for alcoholism, that I cannot use that to make a decision to fire them. So good. So I think, and I think that system. So I think that's level one. Is I'm not sure how many people know that, and I think you know people that are in business or dealing with employees, you know, may not appreciate that on a, in and of itself. But I think that's that that's a good explanation of why this is really a, an important issue for people and just in business in general. But it leads up, I think, to this whole kind of question of cannabis because I think you know if well, so so let's talk about it because I think that there's kind of two different angles. Clearly, the alcoholism. So, would you say that that alcoholism is a defined medical condition? Is a defined medical disability. Defined medical disability, and that's right. okay, and I guess how, and that's that's by the this act by the federal government does that defines okay. alcoholism as a disability. Right. So, so now the question is: is we have an addiction to cannabis is not a defined medical disability as far as I know, but it sort of cues this thing up of saying, Hey, if if someone is taking cannabis for medical purposes, receives, you know, and there's, it gets very complicated, but at a state level receives basically a letter from the doctor saying that cannabis might help your condition. They take it to a dispensary. They get, you know, under state medical use laws are able to obtain cannabis and use it in whatever form they're using it. You should now have this kind of medical, quasi-medical application of cannabis in many states. And then you have the recreational side. So let's talk about how, from an employer point of view, what are the questions that start to come up or, or what do employers start to think about? Because, yes, we, you can't come to work high. Can't come to work high. Yeah. So I guess let's actually let's talk about that one because I think that's maybe the first thing. is So I guess that makes kind of common sense or we can kind of say that. But what does that actually mean? What does an employer need to do? Or how do they need to kind of make sure that everyone knows you can't come to work high? Right. So every employer still has a, a legal responsibility to provide for a safe and a productive work environment. So that's the overriding theme. So it all comes down to the performance. So you're exactly right. An employee can't take cannabis during work. They can't have cannabis-infused food at lunchtime and yeah. come back to work after lunchtime. Okay. So there's that line that has. Now – But the other issue is, let's say you're at an interview and I'm the prospective employee and I volunteer to say, and the the term that we're we're seeing in the courts is, I'm a card holder, right? Because if if it's medicinal use, you will actually get a physical ID card. Yeah, a state-issued card that says you are now authorized by the state to consume cannabis for medical purposes. Correct. So that's the term and that's what, when we see it in, in some of the court cases that we're seeing right now, that's where one of the issues are because now if an employee brings that up, now there are various other state laws that they may be protected under. Quite honestly, a lot of employers aren't familiar with these laws. Yeah. So, and this is all state, right? Because now, you know, cannabis right. is still federally legal. So that this the federal laws are not coming into play on this one. It's right. the state laws that now potentially kick in for employers. Right. Okay. That's exactly right. And then there's if I can, yeah. then there's the conflict that the other thing that a company needs to do is well, if we already have a drug testing policy in place, mm-hmm. marijuana under the federal law is still considered an illegal substance. It's a drug. So now what do we do when it comes to our drug testing? Yeah. So, OK, so this is another. Is there a distinction between a company that only operates in one state versus multi-state or? Yeah, because drug testing is controlled at the state level. 
and virtually every state has slightly different rules and regulations related to drug testing, what an employer is allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. Okay, so where do we start on this? Because I think that that as an employer, I certainly would be very confused right now. I would be like, okay, so I've got offices in multiple states. I've got a general policy that says we have a drug testing policy and positive tests to marijuana use is a grounds for dismissal under our policy. Now I've got a situation where I've got some offices in states where they have medical and or recreational use. How does this affect me? How does this affect this policy? So the key, the key from an employer's perspective is, one, to know the states that where it's allowed on a recreational basis and states that allowed on a medical basis. Okay. Okay. That's step number one. Step number two is you have to have a written policy. Employers have to have a solid handbook that specifically talks about drug testing and how they view alcohol as an example, mm-hmm. and now cannabis as an example in those handbooks. Okay. So do I need to put in my handbook a specific section on cannabis separate from alcohol or separate from drugs in general? Our recommendation okay. is absolutely yes. Okay. Okay. And the typical model is using alcohol and the abuse of alcohol in the work environment is, is generally a very good foundation to start from. Okay. okay. Especially if you're not going to outside legal counsel or outside HR expertise, somebody like a firm like ours to do this. Yeah. They want to do this themselves internally. Start with that language and then work from there. But again, they have to be aware of what's going on in this specific state because the state laws have to do with where does the employee live? Well, where does the employee live? Correct. Meaning meaning what? So if I have an office that's right on the border of a state? If I'm in, if I'm a company in California and I have an office in New York, okay? Oh, oh I see, I see. Well, Right for the employee that lives in New York, there's the California requirements, and then me as as a New York resident, I might have other rights giving me access to cannabis than out in California. Wow! So you really need to create the policy, even if your business is in one state, and say that state has no cannabis. Say you're in, uh, I think it's uh, Idaho right now is the only state that has absolutely no no access to cannabis and what in any way whatsoever. So if my office is in in Idaho, but someone is across the border. They, as an individual, may have rights or may have the, have access to cannabis under that state law. Correct. And again, from an employer's perspective, best practice on that is then you identify that in your handbook. Okay. You have different sections in the handbook related to the states where you know that you have employees. Hmm. So for employees in such and such state that work for us, here are the guidelines and here is here is the policy because we know you have we have this. Uh-huh. Okay. And the so, same thing and the same thing when it comes to when they're doing when that employer is doing interviews and they're looking to interview in those in those particular states to abide by what the drug testing rules are and so forth in those particular states. Okay. But let me just make sure I understand. So as an employer, I can say you can't come to work under the effect of cannabis, which means, you know, you can't use it before you come to work, you can't use it over lunch, you can't use it during during work hours. I can do that. Like there's no rights of the employee to be able to use that product during that time. Is that correct? That's correct. So even if I have a medical license, even if I'm medically authorized to use cannabis for a a legally authorized condition, as an employer, I can still say, look, we get that. That's cool on your own time, but you can't come to work high. You cannot be impaired at work. Okay. You cannot be impaired at work. So I guess my follow-up question to that is, you know, for alcohol, you know, we've got breathalyzers. It's a, you know, alcohol has a certain kind of time frame in your system. I guess it feels like we've gotten to the point where we can kind of tell if someone is drunk or not, and it's reasonably deterministic. 
And we don't have that in cannabis, right? Like the, the exactly effects. Right. Yeah. So the effects, the, the length of the effects, you know, how long it lasts and the testing. I mean, the testing is, you know, it's a fat soluble molecule that sticks around for 30 plus days. How do I know if someone's showing up at work? <laughs> that's and that's that's where we see is going to be the biggest yeah. open ended liability from an employer, because you're exactly right. There currently is no test available that can determine current impairment. And that's the key. It's the current impairment. So to your point, a breathalyzer, blood alcohol content, we can tell you're currently impaired at the moment. Yeah. There is no current test for cannabis to do so. So that's where an employer is very concerned and should be very concerned because now it's it's a he said, she said, it's a judgment call on that. So again, best practices yeah. and it's all about documentation, creating the KPIs, creating the benchmarks mm -hmm. and as much measurable components that you can do if you're concerned of that potentially happening for employees that work for you. Yeah. And it certainly seems like from an employer point of view, I've got kind of big categories or big kind of lines that I start drawing. It's like, okay, well, you know, if someone is, you know, working in the accounting department and they're, you know, sending out bills and things like that, it's like, okay, yeah, like I, you know, I don't want you high, right? Like I, I need to know that you're going to perform your job well. You know, if someone is driving a, a 20 ton truck around making deliveries, you know, that's a very different kind of risk liability, you know, concern that I have as associated with their impairment. So do you, do you recommend or do you have, you know, situations where you may you may take a different approach or you may have a different sort of approach to how you define the policy and how you define some of the things around how we determine if you're impaired or the level of threshold or the level of test that we're going to put you through? Well, we also be careful with that also because you can't identify a class and treat that class of employee differently, yeah. especially if it's under an assumption. So okay. you have to be very careful with that. So again, it comes back to what is the company-wide policy going to be with regard to that? So in many respects, employers probably have to up their game a little bit when it comes to employee performance and tracking yeah. and um, conduct of, of performance is really what's, what an employer's threshold has to be. And it probably has to be higher than it currently is. Yeah. So really what it's saying is that you need to think through what are your standards and what are your evaluation techniques and kind of uh, the bars and the thresholds that you're setting company wide across the board, regardless of just sort of the cannabis issue. If you want to be able to have a system that is effective in measuring performance, re measuring people's you know ability to perform their job functions and, and being able to be able to filter out situations that, that may be indicative of use <laughs> in I some way. That's exactly right. That's huh. exactly right. So, right. It all comes back to, again, and it's all about setting that tone and that approach right from the beginning, even in the interview process with regard to establishing when and when we are not doing a drug test. Talk to me. I guess I don't know that much about the whole drug test process. I mean, I, you know, if you're a company that is deciding, I guess at one, one level, how do you decide as a company if you're going to have a drug test policy? Because I'm assuming you can have a policy that says you can't you can't be under the influence, but we're not going to have a drug testing system. Or we can say, no, we, we actually have a drug testing system. How does a company actually make that decision? And then if they decide they're going to have a drug testing system or policy process, how does that work? How do you actually set so, that up? So generally, from a from an employer perspective, an industry perspective, any any type of position or a company that's in a position where there's safety and risk involved, trucking, okay. um, yeah. chemicals, anything those, typically the, those entire industries will have across the board mandatory drug testing. 
And then the key with that is what's the language when they talk about drug testing? Mm -hmm. Are they going to say, we're going to do a drug test, and if anything comes up, that, that precludes us from hiring you. So you might pass everything else, but if we have a uniform drug test that says you cannot be hired if you fail any of these exams, that's a policy. And there are other companies that will say that the drug test results are still contingent on your hiring. So now that's very, it almost sounds the same, but, it's, but it is enough different and what, what, what is the practical difference between those two statements? So because the other one is it's mandatory. You fail, you can't get the job. Oh, even if we like you and we if we would want to hire you, right. you, automatic. You meet all the skills. You meet all the skills. We like you. You have everything mm -hmm. that we want. But sorry, you failed this test. We cannot hire you because our policy doesn't allow us to yeah. hire you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the scenario number two is, well, the job is still contingent on the drug test. And let's see how the drug test comes back. And let's see what the severity of the drug that's in it, right? Okay. So there's so different you, Got it. So if, if I, so that basically I would go through the entire interview process that would say, hey, this looks great. Part of our interview process and policy is that we, you know, you have to take a drug test before you do a final offer. You would take the drug test. I would get the results. And, you know, if it shows that you're a regular user of crack cocaine, I'm, I could say, mm, you know what, that's not a good fit for us versus if I saw, you know, a low level, you know, marijuana use in the right. last 30 days, I could say, okay, look, you know, we're assuming that this is not going to be a problem for the job. We're willing to give it to you, you know, understanding the fact that, that you know, you understand our policy and that you can't come to work high. That's exactly right. And there was actually a court case similar to that in Rhode Island related just to that issue. That, meaning which way? That someone was making the hire or was refused? Somebody was told that, that, a, that a drug test, that the job was contingent on a drug test, and yeah. that at that point they volunteered to say that I am a card holder. Yeah. And they said during the interview process that we promised not to ingest cannabis in any form during the workday. Yeah. And um, the employer decided not to hire the person. And so, and the person was taking, this was a case that went to court where the person was saying, well, this was a, they, they weren't following their policy. They were not following that policy. So the judge came down against the employer and said they were not following. And there were also yeah. two, two laws in the state of, of Rhode Island that was recited by the, by the judge in the decision. But it really hung on the fact that, one, it was medically related, so, that, so it was protected under a Rhode Island law with regard to yeah. being medical. And the second one was the company was not consistent in, in the enforcement of their drug policy, the drug testing policy. Yeah, I mean, I, if, if there's one thing I think, I mean, it comes up in a lot of places, but certainly in this one is A, have a policy, <laughs> make sure it's written, make right. sure people get it, you know, that they, they're signing off for it, things like that. It has to be, you know, a written policy that is in place, you know, beforehand. <laughs> and then two, applying that policy consistently across the board. And I think it's, it sounds like if you don't have either one of those, like you don't have a policy, it's not written, people don't have it, or you're not applying it consistently from case to case to case, that is where you're gonna, where you face risk. Right, and here's the third thing that's a little bit unique to cannabis, unlike sure. other things in the past, is proactive education. Okay, so tell me about that, like what would so, you do? So employers, employers should, we all know the trend that's happening in, in this country with regard to cannabis, it, it's a national conversation. And whatever the projected use of it currently is, it's, it's, it's there. So it's important for employers to not hide behind the legality, hide behind a handbook, mm. hide behind a policy. It's one of those things, again, especially with all the states promoting it from a medicinal perspective, that I think it's very important for an employer to do some education for the employees. And the education could take on another a series of, of, of forms. It could be mm -hmm. uh, orientate during an orientation webinar. It could be during um, 
an annual review of mm -hmm. company policies and procedures. It could be in any form, but I think it's important that it's that an employer does bring that up because quite honestly, an employee is probably just as confused yeah. with what's going on because they're still hearing, well, it's illegal. If it's legal on the federal side, how can the state that I live in allow me to smoke? And then all of a sudden I cross the border and now I can do it recreationally out in the street. But in this situation, yeah. because I crossed the state border, I can't. So I think there's a lot of confusion on both sides. And whenever I see confusion, best practice is let the employer take the lead. Yeah. Let's do this on a proactive basis because more often than not, employees look to their employer for probably a lot of things that an employers don't realize across all facets of benefits. And at the end of the day, cannabis and, and the policy, it's another policy. It's going to end up in some form or another. Yeah. It accounts, it's another employee benefit. It's, a, it's about a rule, it's a process, it's a policy that we have in place and it's related to the well-being of that employee. And a good employer should always be focusing on the entire holistic well-being of their employees. Yeah. And that involves some additional education when it comes to this morphing, brand new yeah. policy use throughout the country. I think, I think it's a great best practice. Well, and certainly, I mean, given that it is sort of flexing and changing so much, I mean, you know, employees may not even know kind of what the state of things is as an employer yeah, it seems like a great way to kind of enhance the whole relationship with your employees uh, as being kind of, you know, an open, honest, you know, relationship that you're having in terms of, look, th these are our expectations. This is what is out there. This is expected behavior. You know, this is OK and this is not, you know, and let's, you know, if there's a problem with that, better better have that conversation up front before you have an incident than trying to deal with it after the fact. So the kind of the ostrich strategy is probably not <laughs> a good one here. That's exactly right. And then and then as much as that's from an altruistic perspective, it also helps the employer from a legal perspective. Yeah. So when the courts see that there was proactive activity happening prior to the actual event, it can only help the employer. So so let's go back to the beginning on this. So we talked about this whole 15 employers or more or 15 employers or more. So but this is this applies to anybody. I mean anybody that has employees can do this. There's this 15 person number as being kind of, you know, when the federal law stuff kicks in, that really is it isn't that if I have 15 employees or more I need to deal with this. I need to deal with this across the board. If you have one employee you have to deal with this because cannabis is not does is yeah. not a protected disability at this point in time under that law. What, so just as a kind of thought experiment here, you know, say we go federally legal, say that, you know, cannabis kind of gets rolled into this, what are the impacts then? Like what what would then happen from a cannabis use point of view across the across the country? Well, the unknown is is from an employer's perspective. So one of the biggest things in, in ADA now is that reasonable accommodation that an employer has to provide. Well, yeah. well what, what would be the reasonable accommodation for a cannabis user? Yeah. Nobody knows. So we don't know where that's going to go. Certainly, if it ends up being a protected disability in some form, mm -hmm. then employers like consistency and like to know what the facts are, yeah. right? We're in an environment right now where we don't know where this is going. And that's an uncertainty creates issues and uncertainty, quite honestly, creates more potential lawsuits. So if you agree with it or not, if it becomes part of the list of, of items that are allowed to be defined under the Americans with Disabilities Act, then at least an employer can know more consistently yeah. what they need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, it's it's kind of the uncertainty is really the the problem here. It's not so much whether it's right or wrong or whether, you know, what you need to do It's just knowing what it is, then I can deal with it. I mean, it's like a 
you know, business point of view. I don't mind taking risks as long as I know what they are and I can manage them. Right. I mean, be kind of quick summary for folks because I think we've covered a lot. If you're an employer in general and if you have employees, regardless of what state you're in, you probably need to be thinking about how cannabis is, is playing into your policies and your handbooks. Uh, so it sounds like one, making sure that you have written policies in place that are distributed and people know about. Two, that you're actually applying those policies in a consistent, effective manner. Right. And Correct. then three, I think, uh, you know, it was a really good point you made, which is get ahead of this conversation. So have have this as a part of your conversation with your employees when you're reviewing benefits, when you're talking about updates to policies and procedures, whether it's individual and reviews or overall company reviews, the hiring process, onboarding process, making sure that you're covering these things. Those three things will help you dramatically in terms of getting ahead of this whole game and having minimizing your risk. And most importantly, I think just minimizing the the potential drama that can come up in employee situations, you know, regardless of going to court, you know, just having, you know, conflict with employees and having this uncertainty with employees, that's a problem in and of itself. Exactly right. Good. So, Mark, uh, this has been great. If people want to find out more about you, about your company, you know, have detailed questions about cannabis and HR policies and, and benefits, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you and find out more information? So you can call us on a direct line. It's 516-599-2120. And even though I'm the CEO, I'll give you my direct extension. <laughs> it's extension 295. Or you can certainly review our website, vantagepointbenefit.com. Excellent. I'll make sure that those are in the show notes so people have those. And you're working nationally with companies of all different sizes on benefits and plans and, and policies and um, handbooks and things like that. So that's, that's correct. You can you can be a resource to just about anyone out there. Thanks so much for taking the time. This has really been a fascinating conversation. And I love the fact that this is this is everyone. This is people not just yeah. in the cannabis space, but this is anyone who has a business with employees. This is really helpful. Great. My pleasure. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.